Uh, each week we've been going through one of the questions from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I haven't been doing them in order uh, from the Shorter Catechism because I've been doing the ones that are related to the different messages. But this week is question one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that awesome? Uh, in this busy, crazy world that we can enjoy him and glorify him together. And that's why we're here this morning. So let's spend some time in prayer together. Lord, I'm so grateful for your grace and your mercy. I'm so grateful that we have your very word. And from Psalm 67, this prayer over us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest. And God, our God, will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. God, we think about all the nations of the world. We think about the ends of the earth, and there's so many nations that are struggling right now. Lord, we lift up the people of Haiti dealing with yet another earthquake. God, I pray that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of sorrow, that your love would shine through. I think about the people of Indonesia dealing with a tsunami, and I pray, God, the same for them, that they would find your goodness in the midst of tragedy. Lord, the only cure for sin in our world is you. And so I pray that we would fall more in love with you, that we would know your love, and we would share that love with others. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Get it going, guys. Come on. You got to be about my age to remember that skit right there. And uh, you'll have that song singing throughout your head all day long. You're welcome for that. Uh, uh, Some of you may have thought, did I black out for four months and it's February? What is going up on up here on the stage? Well, this morning we're talking about love. And we can struggle with love. We can struggle with what really is love. We can struggle loving people. We can struggle, struggle people uh, loving people that aren't really easy uh, to love. But we're kind of obsessed with love, aren't we? I mean, you can just see it from all the different Bachelor shows. You know, you have The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and The Bachelor in Paris, and millions of people watch these shows. Of course, none of you, right? None of you watch these shows at all. But we're obsessed with love and and the love story and who's going to get the rose. We obsess with that. And so this morning, we get to really look at what God's Word says about love. And I'm so excited to be able to share that with you because I think that we can really struggle with this. And so we've been looking through the book of Mark this year. We've been going through verse by verse through the book of Mark. And here we are at the end of uh, chapter 12. So let's jump right in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, the words will come up on the screen. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow but also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? 
When the dead rise, they will neither marry or be given into marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus said, give them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Then from, from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I mean, this is a lot to unpack, and we'll spend some time on unpacking this about what God says about love. But we need to really understand what it means to love Jesus, to love one another, and to love the lost. Twelve times in the New Testament it says to love one another, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to take a minute right now. I want you to look around next to you, behind you, all around you. I want you to say, I'm supposed to love you. Go ahead, do it. Look all around you. I'm supposed to love you. Do it. <laughs> now, some of you turn around and you're like, uh, no, and uh, not, not you. Some of the dudes looked at each other and had an awkward moment uh, with, her, with each other. But it's good. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love each other. But it's hard to do, isn't it? There was a, a monkey and a lion that were in the same cage at a zoo, and all the people that came by the zoo thought, this is amazing. A monkey and a lion in the same cage? How can this be? And they asked the zookeeper, how can it be? And they said, yeah, it really is amazing, but every once in a while we have to get a new monkey. And they said, you have to get a new monkey? Well, why is that? Well, because sometimes lions act like lions. And when we're in community together, especially in a small group church, we can act like lions sometimes, right? We can devour one another sometimes, but we're called to love one another. And the only way we're gonna be able to love one another is knowing the source of love. And we've seen in the last 12 chapters of Mark who the source of love is. It's no big surprise to you, is it? The source of unconditional love, the source of crazy love, the source of love itself is Jesus. And so let's break down this scripture uh, verse by verse and look how we're to love Jesus, love one another, and love others. Then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him with a question. Now, if you remember, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians had been the ones that had been testing Jesus over and over. Now we got a new group of people, the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were a group of people that didn't believe in the resurrection. And they were constantly challenging the Jewish belief of the afterlife. And even the Jews themselves, most of them in general, really struggle with the idea of afterlife. When they talked about the afterlife, they would refer to it as Sheol, which basically was this mysterious great unknown that they really didn't know much about. 
But the Sadducees uh, were people that were, they tended to be rich, and they had this idea that if you were poor on earth, that was God punishing you, and if you were rich on earth, that was God's blessing, and that was it. Um, they believed in a God, but they believed in a faraway God who really didn't dabble a whole lot in the affairs of, of men. They certainly didn't believe in God's sovereignty. So it's interesting that they ask him this question because they didn't believe in the resurrection themselves. But I think they believed that if they asked a complicated enough question about the resurrection, it would put in the question Jesus' belief about the resurrection. And so they made this plausible, it was a crazy but plausible story, uh, because they, they knew the, the Levite law that if a man's, I mean, if a woman's husband died, then usually a brother or another family member would marry that woman, get the inheritance, and try to raise children. And so they came up with this crazy uh, story about this happening seven times over. Moses wrote for us that if a brother dies, a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but with no children, the man must marry the widow and have the children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, and he also died, leaving no child. Uh, it was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife she, will, she, uh, will she be since the seven were married to her? Now, the Sadducees uh, believed that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, didn't even refer to the afterlife. That's what they believed. That was their vision of Scripture. And so they thought they could trap Jesus in this question uh, because they were known as teachers of the law. They were known to know the Scriptures. And so they asked Jesus this pretty crazy question. But Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry or be given in marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses and the account of the bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. This was a burn, as my daughter would say, from Jesus to the Sadducees because they were known as teachers of the law and he used scripture to show how they were mistaken. He says, listen, even in the Pentateuch, it does talk about uh, eternal life and this is what it says. And he quotes scripture and then he says, you're badly mistaken. And if you look at the original Greek word that's used for badly mistaken, it's the word planeo. And it means that you're, you're widely and aimlessly mistaken. He told them that they were way off. And this would have been unbelievably embarrassing for the Sadducees because they were known as teachers of the law and teachers of the scripture. But he corrects them. Now, there's another religious leader listening to this. He was a scribe, and he listened to all this was going on. And the scribes really knew the scriptures because they spent all day long copying the scripture over and over and over. I mean, we're so blessed. We can go to Amazon and order whatever Bible we want, as many as we want. Many of you have many Bibles all over your house. And we're able to order Bibles for the church, for the kids' ministry. But in that time, to get Scripture, it had to be hand-copied over and over and over again. And these scribes, they knew Scripture uh, really, really well. And oftentimes, they would have many Scriptures memorized. Unfortunately, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians, they knew scripture and oftentimes they would twist it. But not this scribe. He actually asked a good question. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is most important? I mean, that's a pretty good question, right? I mean, out of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. I mean, what an amazing answer from Jesus. He first uh, quotes the Shema prayer from Deuteronomy 6. So all the Jewish listeners would have known right away because they had memorized that. It was probably the first scripture that they would all have memorized. And so he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. And then he quotes more scripture from Leviticus and tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, this is uh, crazy and amazing love that we're supposed to have. And the man replies in an interesting way. He says, Well said, teacher. This is the first time in any of the Gospels that any of the religious leaders, whether it be a Pharisee, a Herodian, a Sadducee, or any of the scribes, ever gave Jesus a compliment. It's the only time. And he says, well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. You could Excuse me, you could almost picture that behind them that there would have been an altar of, of sacrifice. You can almost see him pointing to that and saying it's, it's more important than all those sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He didn't say that you're a believer. He still had to take a step to actually put his faith and trust in Jesus. But he says if you're on that path, you continue on that path, you're heading in the right direction. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I mean, question after question, constantly challenging Jesus. Over the three years of his ministry, they finally realized that they weren't going to get Jesus. They tried to trap him with all kinds of different questions. They now even sent in the Sadducees, and they couldn't trap him either. And so they came up with another way to end up uh, getting Jesus, uh, so they thought, in the end. So as we've looked through these 12 chapters of Mark, we've really seen who the source of love is. We've really seen who's the one that's in control, and that is Jesus. We get to experience his unconditional and crazy love, and when we do that, we love other people. See, loved people love. In 1 John 4, 8, it actually says that God is love. And so if we're gonna know love truly, we really have to know God. And many of you know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But do you know 1 John three sixteen? Because this is an important verse too. 1 John three sixteen says this. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, the most dangerous part of trying to get to know God, I believe, is sometimes the schedules that we lead. Sometimes our schedules are so packed with so many different things that we end up giving the leftovers to God that we're moving in so many different directions that it's hard for us to rest in him and to rest in his love. And because we can't fully experience how much he's loved us, it's hard for us to love others. And so 
I want this message to be a time for us to be spurred on to fall more in love with Jesus so that we can love others better. A good example of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you know this because you had to have this in your wedding. Almost everyone that I do premarital counseling for ask, is there any scriptures that you want in your wedding? And this is always the first one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never ends. And I usually tell the couples, how are you at this? How are you going to be at this in your marriage? Are you really sure you want to read this? Because most people I know are not good at any of these things. And it's because we don't really know the source of love. See, when we know the source of love and we replace this love here with the word Jesus, it makes a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He's not, he does not boast. He is not proud. See, we have to know the source of love. We have to truly know him to be able to do all these things. See, loved people love. And you want to have an idea about how much you are dearly loved? All you have to read is this verse in 1 John chapter 4. This is, this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Theologians use the word propitiation. And it just means that he died in our place for, for our sins. He was the atoning sacrifice. He, we deserve God's punishment. The, the punishment that we deserve was, was taken place by Jesus. That we deserved to have all of our sins uh, punished. We deserve that judgment, but Jesus came as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how he showed his love for us, that while, while we were still sinners, he demonstrates his love for us in this, that he, he died a painful and awful death on the cross, and he rose from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Have you ever trusted in him? Do you really know his love? If you've never trusted in him for eternal life, won't you do that this morning? I beg you to do it because there's no other way to know true love, to know true hope, to know true joy, to know true peace. There was a, a traveler who was walking and he fell into a, a deep pit and several people came by the pit and saw him struggling. The sensitive person saw him in the pit and said, I feel for you down there, but didn't help him out of the pit. And the reflective person said, it's, it's logical that if there are pits, that people are going to fall into pits, but didn't help him out of the pit. And then the artistic person said, I see you down in the pit. I can help you decorate it. And they left him in the pit. And the judgmental person said, only bad people fall into pits and left the person there. And the curious person thought, hmm, how did you fall into that pit? But didn't help him out of the pit. Either And the perfectionist said, I believe you deserve your pit. And the self-righteous person said, you should have seen the pit. But none of them helped him out of the pit. But Jesus, seeing that man in the pit, he took pity on him as a seeking and saving Savior and helped him out of that pit. 
See, that travels each and every one of us. Each and every one of us is in a pit of our sin. Because we're in sin, we're hopeless. We have no way out until someone has pity on us, until someone takes action, and that someone is Jesus, and he's taken action, and he loves us so dearly. You realize, brothers and sisters, how much you're loved. See, loved people love. When we experience his goodness and his grace, we can't help but to love others. And that's why the action step for this week is to spend uh, time with Jesus this week. Because when we spend time with him, we're going to fall more in love with him. When we fall more in love with him, we're going to be able to love others. When we spend time with him, we'll be able to see that the, the, the qualities and the attributes of him. We're able to see his deity, that he's equal with the Father and the Spirit. And we're able to see his, his radiance and his glory. We're able to see that he lasts for all time, that he's eternal. I know some of you in this room have a hard time believing that. And it's, it's, it's a little weird, right? It's a little weird to believe that God has always existed. It's a little weird. It's a little strange. It, it, it takes faith. But it also takes faith to believe that we're hurling through space at 67,000 miles an hour and no one's in charge. I mean, that, that's a terrifying thought to me. And so when we spend time with Jesus, we get to realize that, that he's always been and, and that he cares for us. We get to see his, his never-changing constancy with uh, his word that I just read from Mark 12. And we got to experience uh, what the people there were, were hearing and, and seeing. And it applies to our lives many, many, many years later. See, his word never changes. The truth never changes. His knowledge is amazing. You think about all of the knowledge and all of the world, and he created all that. You think about his knowledge and his wisdom. Do you ever get perplexed about something? You ever think, I'm in this situation and I don't know what to do? I'm in this parenting situation or I have this situation in my marriage or somebody at my school is really struggling with something. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. See, Jesus doesn't get perplexed. He, he, he knows the answer and we can come to him with our questions. He's full of knowledge. He's full of wisdom. He's full of authority and his providence that he's in, in charge, that uh, he's, he's in control, that his word and his power are strong that he's able to calm the storm and he's able to heal those that are sick and he's able to give us eternal life by what he's done. I mean, you ever think about his purity? I mean, you ever spent time and thought about, wow, for all eternity, he hasn't fallen into sin. That time that he was on earth when he's been tempted like no other. I mean, think about how many times we're tempted to go into sin each and every day. He spent all that time on earth and never fell into sin. Think about how trustworthy he is, his justice. You ever been wronged by somebody or a situation? Listen, God is not ignoring that. And people will find justice either on this earth or they'll find justice in front of God one day. That he's unbelievably patient. I think about how many ways I go against him all the time. And I'm a pastor. I mean, how patient he has to be with me. I'm so grateful for his patience. I'm so grateful for his sovereignty. And I'm so grateful that he has somehow has meekness and grace and wrath all together. It truly is amazing. But we only get to experience that when we spend time with him. See, love people love, but we need to experience his great love for us. 
So I hope you spend time with him this week. I've got three children, Liliana, Luke, and Levi, and I'm one of those parents that wake up all the time throughout the night to check on my kids. I just have always had, since I've had kids, I've always just woken up and checking on them several times, make sure they're breathing, make sure they don't have covers over their head, check their windows again for the 18th time, make sure they're locked. And I'm a very flawed dad. But I think about how much our Heavenly Father, who is not flawed, who is perfect, how much he cares about us and how much he's checking in on us and how much he loves us. But we have to experience his love. I mean, life is hard, isn't it? I mean, I know many of you are going through really, really tough times right now. And you have a choice. You can find strength and, and try to find peace within yourself. Or you could say, I'm going to count on the God of the universe. And I want to fall more in love with him. And I want to get to know him better. And even though I'm going through a tough time right now, I'm going to bring my pain. I'm going to bring my uh, emotions to him because I want to get to know him more. For 15 years, I've been hanging out with Jesus. And each day that I hang out with him more makes me want to love him and love others more. Now listen, I'm far from perfect with loving other people, uh, but I've wanted to love people more and more as I've gotten to know how much Jesus loves me. And I know that you'll experience that too if you spend time with him. We believe at Good News that a disciple is a person who loves Jesus, loves one another, and loves the lost. And that's why we want you to spend time with him this week. That it's hard to really love someone that you don't really know. If we're not spending time with him this week, if we're not actually putting it in our calendar, I mean literally putting it in our calendar. All the things that we put in our calendar, we do, right? You guys are all responsible people. When you set a meeting with someone, when you have something at work or school and you put it in your calendar, you're there. So put Jesus in your calendar. Spend time with him this week. Hey, 10 to 10.30, it's Jesus time. You know, lunch time, it's, it's Jesus time. When I get home from school, it's, it's gonna be Jesus time because I wanna get to know him better. And then we believe a disciple loves one another. Sometimes, and this is gonna be hard for you to believe this, sometimes you're hard to love and I'm hard to love. And so we need to spend time with Jesus so that we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ because you know who's watching? The 200,000 people in our, in our community, and some of you are sitting right here, you're watching how the church loves one another. And we're not gonna do it perfectly. We're gonna love imperfectly, but those 200,000 people are watching and seeing these people that have hope, supposedly have hope, supposedly have joy, supposedly have eternal life. How are they treating one another? We need to love one another. And then a follower of Jesus, a disciple, loves the lost that our hearts should be broken, that there are 200,000 people in our community who don't know Jesus. So when we talk about a LAMP class that's gonna help you def defend your faith, there should be a line out the door for that. And when we talk about trying to uh, reach people by having candy bars like this, there should be tons of you writing down your card, I'll do anything. I have a bunch of lost people coming to my house. I wanna invite them to church. But that only happens when we love Jesus more. Your, your, your heart won't be drawn towards him or to love one another or to love the lost unless you fall more in love with him. I'm gonna close with a story about a farmhouse. There was a mouse who looked out of his little hole in the wall in the farmhouse and saw that the farmer and his wife bought a mousetrap. The audacity of all 
to buy a mousetrap. And he was so shocked. He couldn't believe it. They want to get rid of me. They want to kill me. And so he goes back to his farmhouse friends. And he says, chicken, can you believe they bought a mousetrap? And the chicken says, what do I care? I don't, I'm not going to go into a mousetrap. So he went to the pig. He said, pig, they bought a mousetrap. I'm so scared I might go into it. And the pig said, that mousetrap has nothing to do with me. And so the mouse went to the, went to the cow and said, can you believe it? And the cow's like, uh, duh, I'm not going to go into a mousetrap. And so the mouse just went by himself and thought, no one cares that there's a mousetrap. Well, later on that night, the mousetrap engaged. Something got into the mousetrap. And so the farmer's wife goes downstairs, and it's all dark downstairs. She's thinking she's going to see a mouse and... As soon as she flips on the light, she sees a venomous snake, and that snake bites her. And she gets really, really sick. She goes to the hospital. Thankfully, she starts feeling a little bit better, and she comes home, but she's still not feeling really well. And when you're sick and not feeling well, what do you want to eat? What do you want to eat when you're sick and not feeling well? Yeah, chicken soup. And so the farmer went out and got that chicken and made his wife some fresh chicken soup. And then there were so many people in their community that wanted to care for the sick farmer's wife that the farmer said, well, I've got to feed all these people. What's better than pork chops to feed people? And so they took out the pig. And then thankfully, the wife felt better. She was ready to go, and, and the husband said, I'll make you anything. She said, you know what I really want? I really want a big, juicy burger. And so there went the cow. You see, there's so many people in our community that think the church and God's word and God's love doesn't apply to them. It's not important to them. But our job is to be like little mice and to say, yes, there is something coming. A death is coming and you need to be prepared. And we love Jesus so much that we're willing to love you. We're willing to be bold in our faith. We're willing to share with you. Even if you won't listen, we want to share with you. We want to tell you about God's love. But that's only going to happen when we fall in love with Jesus. You see, a disciple is someone who, who loves Jesus and, and loves one another and loves the lost. You know why we do? Because we're so dearly loved. Loved people love. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful that I am dearly loved by you. Lord, I know your heart is broken by people that constantly run from you, who constantly say no to you, but you are unbelievably patient with them. Lord, help us to be patient with others that, that don't know you. Help us to love them with Christ's love. Help us to, to, to be patient, to be joyful, to be loving, to be forgiving. Help us to love you more so that we can love one another and love the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.